Hi, I'm Will, a bilingual English teacher and American expat living in Germany. And I'm Brenna, the editor of a literary magazine and a contrarian bookworm. Welcome to Scribes and Bibe, where we get tipsy and talk about etymology. We look up words with weird and shameful pasts or strange and contradictory meanings and then tell each other about them. The imbibing is primarily there to excuse the fact that I can't pronounce most morphemes to save my life. Will's being a real stinker this week for making me do an intro where I have to tell you that we talked about words like exidentesiast, saudade, and zulnru. When we're not muddling through pronunciations, we also talk about what eggnog and noggin have in common and how it relates to the word mug. Welcome to Scribes and Bibe. So check it out. I have a first word to start with. Hell yeah. For people who watch sports but don't care about them and have to pretend that they're happy with people who actually care about sports. Oh boy. You would call those people doing the pretending uh, exedentias. Uh, hold on, no. Exedentasiasts. <laughs> Spell it for me. E C C E D E N T E S I A S T and then S for the plural. And it's actually a relatively new word. It was suggested in 2012 by username S U K H J U G. In any case, I like that there could be a word to describe people who fake a smile. Because mm -hmm. I know people who do that, and I've done it, and we can all be a little bit exidentesiastic <laughs> <laughs> at times. I like it because it's harder to say than, like, enthusiastic, for instance. Yeah, and I bet it's harder to fake a smile than to just genuinely smile. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so that's fitting. And my, um, my theme, I guess, for today is going to be kind of weird words. Okay. Or not even kind of. Weird words. Okay. I'm into it. I wanted to tell you, at this point, I can't remember what the prefix was that you had done kind of a thing about last time. I think it was a, as in like a glow or a, oh, yeah, a yeah. wonder, right? Where it got me really excited about prefixes, and now I'm just all about them. And like my thing that I just got into was the prefix B, because it's got such a variety of meaning. For the most part, it means about, around, thoroughly, completely, to make, cause, seem, to provide with. It's a very broad range of things so you might see it with things like the proximity or like where they are spatially with like bystander like one who stands to the side that kind of thing or um bespatter you're spattering things around mm -hmm. things like that but then it's also sometimes used as a um privative prefix so in english those are like un unassuming or atypical would be a, a privative prefix and we use it in behead so Ooh, to not yeah, yeah. To not have a head. Yeah. <laughs> to lose one's head. Oh, cool. But 
I think it's just rad that it's used in so many things, and some of them aren't around anymore. And my favorite one, it was hugely popular in the 16th and 17th centuries. And people would use it for bethwack, which means to thrash soundly, and betung, which means to assail in speech or to scold. And I think we should bring betung back. Yeah. Uh, lexicon, but I think it should mean something else, personal opinion. Clearly. I like both of those. Bethwack. Cool. I like it. All right. I have uh, my my next word, if I may. Back in the early 1800s, in the English language, was this word that started out in Portuguese and is called saudade or saudades is the plural noun form. Apparently it's a noun and it's actually a feeling or an emotion. Sort of like Sehnsucht, which is a German word for that sense of longing, kind of a melancholy, romantic era longing, which would actually fit in terms of time. And apparently there are songs that are described as being saudade or, or drawing forth this saudade feeling within listeners and being a really specific Portuguese melancholy. <laughs> Can you spell that one for me, too? S-A-U-D-A-D-E. Saudade, yeah. And um, there was a big spike in the early 1800s, and then nothing for quite some time, and then a slow and relatively steady trend after the middle of the 20th century. And now it's more popular. And I think words like that are fun that describe a really specific emotion. Like, Sehnsucht, I think, is a much more complicated meaning than longing. So, yeah. Saudade. I'm writing that one down. I'd also like you to spell the uh, the German one for me because I'm not finding it here. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's spelled S-E-H-N-S-U-C-H-T. And with a capital S because it's a noun. And in German, they capitalize all the nouns. Uh, which is important because some sentences wouldn't make sense if you didn't. Yeah, I was never going to spell that right, by the way. No. <laughs> I was looking in Z's. <laughs> it was bad. Although you just reminded me, I don't want to uh, interrupt if there was more to Sadale. No, that, that was it. Interrupt me. But you reminded me, I'm publishing a, a short story in Calix this summer that where the narrator is growing up under the sort of rigid strictures of her father, who's an ornithologist. And she learns kind of to think of her own life and her own like adolescence uh, in terms of birds. And hmm. one of the words that she uses in it is, I'm going to say this wrong, it's a German word, uh, Zugenru. Z-U-G-U-N-R-U-H-E. Uh, so Z-U-G, which mm -hmm. means uh, to move or migration. And unru, oh, yeah. unru. Mm -hmm. uh, which means anxiety or restlessness. And it, yeah. it uh, describes sort of like the need for migration. Oh, yes, I know that feeling. It's a good word for the feeling that everybody gets at a certain point in their life, right? To, to, to leave the nest and yeah. seek out your own adult life. Maybe you can tell me how it's pronounced, but I'm going with zugenru. Well, you're wrong, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Z's in German are pronounced with a t sound mm. like a tsetse fly has the same sound for the oh. ts mm -hmm. so be zug unruhe wow yeah that's real different and the u's are much more rounded and the e sound is a much um lower e sound than the english e say it again zug unruhe and that's really exaggerating the pronunciation 
Yeah, you know, I think we could rename this podcast. You're saying it wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I think most of the words I pronounce, I pronounce incorrectly. <laughs> We're lucky that Latin is a dead language and that like no one can yeah. tell me that I'm yeah. pronouncing all the Latin <laughs> wrong. Cool. I like it. Well, let me know once you finish publishing that. I want to read it. And that is a sort of seg into my next word, because what you're doing is making the world a better place through human effort. And that is described as meliorism, which is spelled M-E-L-I-O-R-I-S-M. And way, way, way back in the day, well, I guess not that much back in the day, the late 1800s, it came out of Latin for melior, which is better. And then English went and just tacked on a little suffix and said, here, turn it into an ism, and you've got yourself a noun. So you got meliorism. Melior, better, ism, the nounness. So betterness. But then it got abstract and turned into the belief that the world can be made better by people. Which is nice, especially in this day and age when I feel like most of the news that I consume makes me feel like, oh my gosh, human effort is making the world terrible. I like, I like the more optimistic route. English literature fans will know that George Eliot coined the phrase in the 1800s. Ta-tum. And I guess that would be where we get like ameliorate as well. Yeah. To make better. Meliorism. I'm writing that one down too. Okay, I've got a fun one. I was looking at the word flagrant or flagrant. So something conspicuously or obviously offensive. It sort of broadened its terms in the last couple of centuries to just sort of general wrong or immoral. But originally it meant like in violation of the law. It's from the 1500s. It's from the Latin flagrantum. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this is like all of the literal meanings are fire. It's like burning, blazing, glowing glowing with passion, eager, vehement, etc. And they, they think where this came from, uh, in terms of like glaringly offensive or scandalous, was from the 1700s with the legalese phrase flagrante delicto. Or mm -hmm. you might also say like being caught in flagrante, which means uh, while the crime is being committed being caught red-handed or literally with the crime still blazing which i think Whoa. is so great yeah that's epic if you are caught in flagrante you are caught while you are literally still blazing cool fabulous we should all yeah. use this word all the time yes all right i have another funky one so this next one is called nova turient or nova turient comes from nova uh, which goes back to the Latin novus, which is new, and turient has to do with, I'm guessing, adventure or touring. But the basic meaning is that you desire change or, or alteration in your life, behavior, situation, or even where you are, which is sort of like zug und Ruhe, and having a sense of wanting to move because you're anxious at not traveling or not migrating. I think it's kind of important to note that for most of these words, I looked it up and there were entries in dictionary.com and Oxford English Dictionary Online and, and, and so on and so forth. And for this word, all of the suggested things were various blog posts and Instagram and Pinterest posts about self-betterment. This one's new? It's new and to me it feels a little bit pretentious. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mostly because of the example sentence 
My novaturient wishes were to find myself in the places I would explore, the scents I would inhale, and the people whose words and energies would stimulate my thoughts, which... So, like, eat, eat, pray, love, basically. Yeah, and I want to change things so that I can have that, because I don't have it right now. And that's what novaturient means. And let it be said, I am never against new words. Like, when people are like, oh, it's not a word, it's made up. All words are made up. Mm. But I agree with you that Novaturian does sound a little, um, I don't know, upper middle class white woman who goes on like a (laughs) self-discovery tour in a foreign country. (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) Alrighty. Oh, right. Yeah, me. Sorry. Um, Oh, oh, I have a super fun one. Will, I'm so excited about this one. I've been telling people (laughs) on the street about this one. It's okay. There's a bit of there's a bit to it in that I was just struck with uh, the question of where did the term noggin come from? Mm. I assumed it was pretty recent because I mostly hear it in slang like oh, you banged your noggin. Um, It almost sounds like something you would say to a child like belly instead of stomach. You'd say noggin instead of head. But I looked it up and it is from the 1620s, meaning a small cup or mug, and it's possibly related to the Norfolk dialect nog or strong ale, which is where we get like eggnog. Oh. And so I was trying to figure out how you get from the mug. I mean, I can see how you get from the drink to the mug, but not how you get from the mug to your head, unless it's like where you put your nog in, and that just seemed a little cutesy. It does, but that. Huh. No, 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 wait for okay. it. So, okay. so so then I was, I was looking deeper into this, and I was reminded that the term mug, which has the same meaning, a small cup or you know, clay vessel to drink alcohol from, mm-hmm. also means head now. And so what happened was in the 16th century, a mug was a heavy cup used for warm drinks, but in the 17th century, it became common to decorate said mugs with grotesque caricatures of human faces. Um, And then you'd get those in like shitty souvenir gift shop kind of (laughs) things like, yeah. Um, And then so by the 18th century, mug had become popular slang for the human face, which is where we get mugshot. It's where we get to mug someone, which originally meant to punch them in the face. Now it kind of means to steal their stuff, but there is a sense of beating someone up or striking them Mm -hmm. in the face. So it's also possible that while mug was going through that etymological shift, that noggin was doing the same thing for similar reasons. Yeah, that sounds cool and plausible. Yes, and unconfirmed, definitely, but... <laughs> I think the first uh, hypothesis about n- the thing that you put your nog in is your noggin. <laughs> I like that the best. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, I have another pretentious word oh, that's yeah. weird for English speakers, but not at all weird for German speakers. So check it out. If you want to be super pretentious about the things that you've experienced that touched you the most deeply, you would say those are your Erlebnisse which is the German word for experience. But you don't call them experiences, you call them Erlebnisse. It's a noun, a plural noun that comes from the German verb to experience something, Erleben. And again, all words should be allowed, but some of them are unnecessarily pretentious, like this. It's really, it's literally the one-to-one translation of experiences. Anyways, I know this is how new words come about in languages. You take a different language's word and you muck with it. But this, it just doesn't feel fitting. Yeah, and, and I'm saying here, like, a lot of people are using it 
to like specifically mean adventure, which would make sense, right? If you're an English speaker who goes to Germany mm -hmm. and has an experience and they call it an experience in German. And then you go back home and you're like, oh, I had all of these Elipnesses or whatever and it's like you're taking them you're like I mean I went on all of these grand adventures but like the word literally just means I experienced something yep. yeah that's actually not that surprising when I think about it mm. but I mean it reminds me of um macaroni <laughs> have we talked about macaroni we haven't yet oh it's so good it almost just deserves more research than I can put into it right now. But basically, the, the Yankee Doodle went to down riding on a pony, mm. stuck a feather in his cap, and called it macaroni. I don't know if you ever wondered what the hell that was about, but I always imagined someone putting noodles in his hat, that's, and that seemed super that's weird. That's exactly why I went back then. But it was that the original douchey gap year frat boy experience, el uh was like British dudes. I don't remember which century it's going to be wrong, um, but they would go on a gapia to Italy and Italy was really in vogue. And so the thing was to come back from your experience using as many Italian words as possible. And those were like super fashionable. So like, oh my God, that looks so macaroni <laughs> is basically what they meant. I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. Oh, I'm glad you found this out, but it's terrible. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I've, yeah, yeah. So oh, that is stuck up all the way up when any when anyone wants to tell you that like saying like oh that's lit is like shitty and douchey and a terrible use of the english language you can be like hey we're not the worst generation yeah it's humans do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay i have two more they're related and i want to save one of them for the end do it all right so i'll start with the one that i stumbled across first it's a noun slubberdegullion is a noun for a slobbering or dirty fellow or a worthless sloven from the 1610s. And then it comes from the word slubber, which is to daub or smear, behave carelessly or negligently. That word, slubber, goes back to the 1520s and is probably from Dutch or Low German, which is related to the verb that we use today for slubber, like when dogs have too much saliva coming out the mouth. And the other bit, degullion, this is where it gets much more speculative. The Etym Online, the Etymological Dictionary Online, says that it might have been an attempt of English to imitate French, which was in fashion at some point for quite Very some time. Very macaroni. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a French word, an old French word, golon, and I know it's pronounced properly somewhere, but not in my mouth. <laughs> And golon is a noun for a sloven. So a slobbering sloven would be slubber de gullion. Uh, and also the infix de, de in the middle of those two words, could be thought of to mean insignificant, or it comes from another infix de using the word that I'll get to later. So slubberdegullion is what you could call anyone who doesn't clean up after themselves or is generally dirty or maybe worthless. That's adorable, though. I can't imagine using that, like, in anger. No. Like, oh. Look at the state of this room, you slubberdegullion. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. I can't keep this straight. No, it would be extremely difficult to use that and actually come off as serious. Yeah. So I, I would be happy to go straight into the word that it led me to. Yeah. Okay. It led me to 
hobbledyhoy. I'm looking this up. And hobbledyhoy is a noun. Um, and hobbledyhoys is the plural noun form. And a hobbledyhoy is a clumsy or awkward youth. And when I was like 14-ish to 16-ish, I was a hobbledyhoy. But where did you fucking find these words today? Where are you? I was. Are you living in Newsies? Is that where you are today? (laughs) No, I found a post that somebody put up on an image sharing site that just had, I don't know, like thirty weird words, and I was like, you know what? I'll just take some of these, a selection, and then when I got to Slubber de Gully, and it took me to Hobbledyhoy, and I was like, I need to go and find out about Hobbledyhoy. Because oh, um, that looks like a fun time, and I wasn't wrong. Also, you can use it in the same form as an adjective, and you can say that someone has hobbledyhoy hands. So, if you Brenna were to often drop things, be like, "Oh, look, there goes there goes Brenna with her hobbledyhoy hands." What a hobbledyhoy she is! Awkward or clumsy hands, um, and it came about in the mid 16th century. At least that's when it was recorded, and we don't know exactly where it's from. First known use, 1540. However, origin unknown. So, eh, take that with I, a grain I found of salt. A, I found a little possibility if you... Give me. First element is probably hob in the sense of clown or pranksters, uh, as seen in Hobgoblin. Uh-huh. The second element, perhaps, is Middle French de hay, or worthless, untamed, or wild, literally of the hedge. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense for children. They are worthless, untamed, and wild. And definitely living in hedges. <laughs> <laughs> just, just walk by hedges and children everywhere. I love it. I love everything about it. <laughs> well, I think um, I've got a final word if you're down for that. Yeah, hit me. Yeah? Okay. Today's uh, parting shot, so to speak, hmm. is masturbation. Sorry, what? Masturbation. Oh, yes. That's a great word. Well, yes, deliberate deliberate erotic self-stimulation from the 1700s, but what I wanted to focus on is that if you take the word apart, you get manus, hand, and stuprare, or defile, which is where we get stupefy, stupere, or stupid, and together it means to defile oneself. So let's all find a new word for masturbation that isn't such kink-shaming bullshit. Wow. (laughs) I'm Brenna (laughs) Crotty. Talk to you in the future.